while they're doing that, I got a special. Do y'all want to come up on stage? You Sometimes you hear adults my age, and you sure. The age we're of now going parents. to sing for you. No, we're not. That I'm going to have these ladies the have the a special announcement. I'm going to let um, them make right now. God reminds me on a regular basis how he's under, he's in control, not me, and he will always have a remnant to carry on the gospel. And you see part of the remnant standing here this morning. Uh, we're very blessed with in our student ministry and our children's ministry and. When I'm long gone and when I'm with Jesus and he hadn't, if he hadn't come back yet, I think the church is in good hands. I really do. I'm, uh, it's, it's a thrill for me to watch, to be able to, to pour myself into others and then watch uh, generation after generation. God is faithful and that he will always have a witness. So uh, next week, uh, Emma's going to preach. You know <laughs> Those sweet girls, they came to me, I don't know, a week or so ago and asked, said, their heart is so special. Life Choices is one of our missionaries, if you don't know that already. And uh, uh, so literally what part of what you give on a regular basis goes to support Life Choices as well. And it's just something that uh, they want to do. So we're excited about it. You take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians in the New Testament, Paul's Epistle to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians, and we'll uh, talk about that in just a moment. There's a couple of things I do want to mention to you, and then we will get into to, uh, God's Word. Um, if, because it's very time-sensitive, mentioned it for several weeks now, so I don't want you to miss if it applies to you. If you want your child to play t-ball, coach pitch, softball, you need to sign them up Today, let either John Everson or myself know there are forms out there by my office. You can pick one up and fill it out. And we have to commit this week to which teams we're going to have. We already know a couple. We've got enough that we're going to commit to those. But if we want to have a t-ball, for example, we need a few more bodies, coach pitch. If you want your child and or grandchild to play, you need to get them at least take the form and sign up. Let John and I know that we have to make a decision. Let them know we're in or out. And then we can continue, if we say we're in, then we can continue to add some bodies. But we have to make a decision that we're going to commit to, to having a team in the league. So if you've ever done any of that, you know it can be very time-sensitive. What normally happens, and I've been around church work for a long time, what normally happens is you get into, suddenly the weather gets warm, and you think, well, I'd love for my little kid to play t-ball, and it's too late. So don't miss out. If you want your child and or grandchild to play t-ball, coach pitch, uh, co-ed softball for teenagers, that's uh, worth coming, not for the benefit of the softball game itself, just to watch the teenagers, and we're going to have fun with that. We're looking forward to it, so if you're interested, you need to get that taken care of. Also, we have a class here we do on a regular basis, try to do it twice a year, called Starting Point, where basically for designed for six weeks, sometimes it goes six years, but it's designed for you to come for a period of six to eight weeks, and we'll meet here on Sunday mornings, at, or meet somewhere on Sunday mornings at 9.30, and you find out what is a Christ church, where do we come from, what is our history, what do we believe, Who, who's that clown up front, uh, a lot of different things that answer your questions and walk you through. It's uh, uh, really uh, something good to do. If you're interested in Christ church, if you've been here for a while, or you're brand new, you just want to know what is a Christ church. Some places might call them membership classes. We just call it starting point because it gets to the end. If you decide you want to make this your church home and you want to be a member, 
There's paperwork for you to fill out. If you just decide that that's not for me, but I want, I want to just come, that, that's fine as well. But it lets you know who we are, where we're coming from, and, and why we believe what we believe. Why do we do what we do? Why do we have elders? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Uh, I think it would be very helpful to you to find out what is a Christ church. So what we're doing now, if you're interested in that, you can fill out on your Connect card. Which you can get the black boxes. Just put down, I'm interested in starting point. Be sure your contact information is legible. That means can be read, uh, whether you email or a phone number. And in Scott Helvey, which will be, we'll put him back here in the cove back there in Mary's Cove. Scott will be back there. Scott's going to teach the class. And you can go up Scott and say, I'm interested in starting point. He can, he's the one that's going to get the information and contact you. And then in a few weeks, we'll start that class. So you can see Scott back there. If you're interested in baseball, T-ball, any of that, you see John or myself. The forms are there by my office. You just leave them on my desk. But uh, those things uh, are, are time sensitive. All right. Turn to the book of Ephesians and let's have a word of prayer and we will get into God's word. Let's pray. Father, again, we just are grateful that we have you as a God. As we think about this series, as we look at your word and realize how special it is that you're our daddy, that emotionally, uh, relationally, that we would understand the intimacy of having the God who is real is my heavenly father, always looking out for me, always doing what's best for me, always perfect, always in control, that we live by faith in our dad because he is God, that it would, it would challenge us, motivate us, lead us to be children that want to talk about their dad. So we commit this time to you as we look at your destiny for us in the book of Ephesians. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 3 is where I want you to turn. We're going to be going different places in Ephesians, but let's start out in chapter 3. So if you'll notice on your handout, the question we're looking at last week and this week is, why do we need to do this? Why don't we need to study who our daddy is? Well, you know, we talked about, obviously we're in this series of who's your daddy, and that clearly in Scripture, if we believe the Bible is God's word, and that is the manual by which we live our lives as Christians, that God makes it clear in Scripture, and we put a couple of references up there for you, that he is God and there is no other. I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Lord, your God, am a jealous God. You will have no other gods, plural, before me. I alone... And God, there, none, none others exist, no matter how much you might want them to, think they do, wherever you're coming from, I am God. And if specifically then, for those of us who are Christians, there are Romans 8.15 on your handout, we get to call God our Abba, Father. It's Aramaic for intimacy, that he's our daddy, and that he's always, as we prayed a moment ago, looking out for our best interests. It does not mean many of you are good fathers or a good parent, but specifically and relationally here, as a father, you're good fathers, and you want to do what's right. Have you ever made a mistake as a father? I shall raise my hand. I've made many. I remember once with my son, who's, who's now 32, so I guess I can get away with telling this story. And I was coaching him in, in basketball. I don't remember how old he was, but Andy was not the, the best basketball player in the world. He was kind of like his old man. He wanted to play, but just wasn't 
all, but anyway, we're, I'm coaching him, and we had some problem in practice, and somebody told me he had done something. So I just took him to my office in Bartlett, and I spanked him. And we went back to practice, and then I found out after practice, the person that told me that was wrong. That he had not done what I was told he had. Because when someone told me my son had done something wrong, what was my first assumption? Yeah, he did it. I know him, he did it. And like my father, he would just, we had, there was three boys, he would just whip all three of us just to get it over with. It was always my older brother that had done wrong, but, but for some reason, uh, not my younger brother so much because he was a pet, but he just said, I'll, I'll go ahead and whip Randy as well, even though Ricky's the one that did it, and I'm sure Randy did something wrong. Well, in, in Andy's case, my son, I just assumed that in this case, he, he hadn't done anything wrong. So, as Andy Griffith said, I'm an eating crow. And I had to go to Andy and apologize, my son, and apologize and tell him I was wrong, that I got information and what I, and so as a father, I make mistakes. I have made mistakes, probably still do. But the beauty of understanding, we talked about this a little bit last week, who your heavenly father is, who is omnipotent, omnipresent, he's perfect, knows everything, is everywhere where simultaneously, including the future, how many mistakes has he ever made? Not one. So he's not starting with me, not starting with you. He is always working, Romans 8, 28, good for those who love him, his children. It doesn't mean that it always looks good to us in the moment. Many times it does not. But remember, he is outside time. He's not past, present, and future constrained like we are. He just is and always has been. So he's already in tomorrow. He knows what he's doing in my moment presently, getting me to there, and he's working good. And that I need to, the theme of Scripture, back at 2.4 is what? The righteous shall live by faith. Not the really good people. Not the ones who got it all together, but the righteous. You know who the righteous are? His children. Those that have been declared righteous in Christ. We are his. We are his children. We are adopted into his family. And that's why I love this phrase, this this Aramaic phrase of Abba, Father. Because it's relational. It's intimate. So last week we looked at number one on your handout. It's why is it important that we study who our daddy is? Because God wants us to. It's his desire for us to know him and not just to be satisfied that we're born again, but to pursue knowing him constantly, to never be satisfied, to always want to be closer. Again, it's the most intimate relationship a human being can ever enter is that of being a child of God. We love each other in the sense in which we know being married or being a parent We understand love. But the way we genuinely understand love is that God is love. And as we get to know him, we're born again and we're his children. And then as we mature chronologically, he wants us to never be satisfied in our pursuit of holiness or knowing him, growing spiritually. I want to be further along tomorrow than I am today that I'm never Satisfied. So why study who my daddy is? Because he wants me to. He wants that relationship 
to grow, to pursue knowing him, and then to glory in the fact I do know him. What does that mean? Beyond, we're not going to go back and execute everything we did last week, but simply this, that I want to pursue him, I'm never satisfied, and I want to grow in my faith. Why? That's the idea of glory in knowing him, because the deeper I get in my walk with Christ, the more I know my father, the more opportunities I will have in an effective way to glorify him. In other words, to let other people know who he is and how much he means to me. That's what the word glorify means, the verb. We talked about this many times. We'll talk about it more as we look at this. The idea of prayer, very simply, is broken down in two primary principles by the Lord Jesus Christ in the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer, which you've all memorized. The two primary principles of prayer, Jesus said, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, our Father, which hallowed your name, not mine, not ours. We hear, Jesus said, this is the way you pray. It's the way he prayed. They watched Jesus pray and then said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Not the words, but the mindset. Why was prayer so important to Jesus? That's what they were asking. Why do you, God, have to spend so much time with the Father? That's what Jesus wanted them to understand, that relationship. So he said, it's about your name being hallowed or glorified, that other people will see who you are. You look at the high priestly prayer in John 17, when Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross in the end of of the Last Supper in the Upper Room Discourse, and Jesus said, Father, my hour has come. Glorify me together with the glory which we had before the world was. In other words, before we created the universe, it was just us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect harmony, love, fellowship. One God, three persons. He said, now, I, continuing that model prayer, I have glorified your name to them. Now glorify my name in them. And he prays for us that we would be unified that we would be one, and that we would have one goal. Talked about Paul's one focus. We would have one goal, to glorify the name of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. Or let the world, and we've talked about this so many times, everybody has a belief system, they believe something about God. They have the right to do that. God created free moral agents with an intellect. We need to love people, accept them where they are, and then show them, glorify the name of our Father to let them know who he really is, what he means to us, glorify. And then secondly, as you're pursuing him, you want people to see him. You want to glory in that. You want to be excited about that. You want to be thrilled about that. The way we mentioned that last week was you ought to be, you ought to be excited to brag on your daddy. I know my, my three kids, that's all they could talk about. And they're all grown adults in their 30s and 40s. That's all they can talk about is how cool their father is. No, probably not. I know my grandkids, I know that's all they talk about. Probably not because they're all teenagers now with one exception, and the one exception doesn't like me, so it doesn't matter. I've had discovered as a grandfather when you're, there's something about the dichotomy of numbers that when your grandchildren hit 13, you know what you become? An afterthought. I hate being an afterthought. I want to be the thought. But don't we all? You just kind of become, oh yeah, grandy. 
Grandy's Grandy. He's just a crazy old coot. That's all right. I'm still your grandfather. The other night, my phone goes off, and it's Ella, my granddaughter. I said, oh, God, Ella's calling me. So I go to answer it. She's already hung. By the time I can get it out of my pocket and you know, slide to answer she's already hung up. <laughs> Meaning what? She didn't mean to call me in the first place. It was one of those B-dials, right? She did call me back because I texted her or something. I don't remember what it was. No. So she did call me back and say, here's what she said. I didn't mean to call you. <laughs> do you feel the love in the house? I know I do. Here's what I wanted to text back to her. Do you realize how much I've done for you? <laughs> As a grandfather, that's all you want, right? No, what you want is for them to know your father, your daddy, and to realize that when you're gone, that the fondest memory of their grandfather would be, boy, he sure loved Jesus. He sure loved Jesus. And that you, won't, you know that they know that. You know that they have been taught truth by their grandparents and their parents. As I said earlier, that the church will be in good hands. I'm sure when we were growing up, now our parents weren't Christians, and Mary's certainly were, but I'm sure that that generation thought, well, the world has had it. There, there's no way. Look at, look at Randy. And there, there's no way that the church is going to survive with people like that involved. God doesn't make mistakes. That's who your daddy is. So he's, he's passionate about you knowing him so that others can know him through your witness. We are his church. We are his children. We are the bride of Christ. We are the chosen instrument, the ecclesia, the called out ones through whom God has said, I want the world to know me. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples when you have love for one another. We're a family. We've joked about this before. If you're born again, you're related to me, whether you like it or not. I may be that crazy old uncle that you avoid at the family reunions, but I'm still your crazy old uncle. We're the family of God. I'm your brother in Christ. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on every little thing, but we are to be unified. That's with Jesus' prayer and love one another. So now we see that he says, I want you to glory. Look there on your handout that you know me. Don't glory in your own personal knowledge. Knowledge for knowledge's sake does not impress God. Knowledge that changes you, that impresses God. That you're glorifying not in your own personal strength and not in your own personal riches. That's what we dealt with last week. Now, let's focus on number two in your handout for a few minutes. So we've seen that's God's burning desire for us to pursue him, to know him, then to glorify him to our world. When you get to the book of Ephesians, which is number two on your handout, this is God's destiny for us. When he reached down, called you, saved you, adopted you into his family, he has a plan for you. He wants to use you. He does not want you simply to be satisfied that Jesus died on the cross for me and one day I get to go to heaven. That is not adequate. He has a plan for you right now, individually and corporately. Corporately, we talked about the plan for the church is to go into all the world and make learner followers or disciples, the Great Commission. Individually, we ought to be part of that. And we can go around the room. Everybody in the room here who's born again, 
Most of you would say that I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. You were given gifts by God. Spiritual gifts. And talents. That God said, I choose what to give individually. Don't be jealous of another person's gift and or talents. Like we were joking earlier about the ladies down here, we were going to sing. You do not want me to sing. We were, where was it we were the other day, Mary? Somebody, Mary was going to sing. Mary has a beautiful voice, and she sits around the house playing the piano and singing, and then if I try to sing, it's like, I'm going to stop if you don't quit. Because I don't have that talent. And Mary had just a beautiful voice. We were somewhere, I forgot where it was, and, and they said, well, Randy, do you sing? And I turned to Mary and said, do you want me to answer that? God gave her a talent that I don't have. Should I be jealous of that? No. Am I jealous sometimes? Like a talent, a talent like the guys that are on stage. And sometimes you say, well, I really wish I could do that. No, God gives you the talent and or gifts which he wants you to have. Or hair, for example. God gave some people good looks and personality, and the rest of you, he gave hair. There's a scripture for that in the Old Testament I'll share with you sometime. They cursed a guy, he was making something, they cursed him because he was, he was cursing one of the prophets, and the prophet called, said, called him bald head, cursing him for being bald. I said, all right, that's not good. Understand you're special. God has a destiny for us corporately, and he has a destiny for you as an individual. Let's look at that. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. So let me set the context for this. Verses 14 through 21 of Ephesians. We kind of read this last week. This is Paul's second prayer for the church at Ephesus, for the Ephesians. His first prayer for them is in chapter 1. I want you to slip back there for a moment. Chapter 1, verse 15. His first prayer for them is that they would have spiritual wisdom. The prayer we're about to look at in Ephesians 3 is just spiritual in general, but I want to focus for a moment on chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. His, prayer, his first prayer for them in the book of Ephesus is that they would have spiritual wisdom. Now look up here for a moment before we read the verses. This is so important for Christians to understand and define in our lives. You know what wisdom is according to Scripture? We think wisdom in a human sense is, is being sage and, 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 and you're getting old and you've had all these life experiences and you could share that with those that are younger with you. There is wisdom in that. Nothing wrong with that. But spiritual wisdom is not just for old people. It's for any believers, teenagers, children. Here's what spiritual wisdom is. is being able to look at things the way God looks at them. To see things the way God sees them. Wisdom is something we should pray for. Another term for it is spiritual understanding. So that's what his first prayer is about in Ephesians. Keeping that definition in mind, we're just going to read it. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15, if you'll follow along with me. 1.15 Therefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, 
making mention of you in my prayers. Now here's Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. Spiritual wisdom. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church. And we're not exegeting Ephesians 1, just a couple of points. He's saying, every time I think of you, the church at Ephesus, I praise God and I give thanks to God and I pray for you. I pray that you will have, I want you to see just one verse again, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The saints, very simply, are Christians, believers of all time. Not just really good Christians and really old ones. No, if you're 13 years old, 15 years old, 8 years old, you're born again, you're a saint you're a child of God. And he said, my prayer for you is that you would have eyes of understanding, wise eyes to see things enlightened, not that you would understand that riches are the, your inheritance that await you beyond the grave, not this life. We talked about that last week. True riches, what they really are. And that money in this life and wealth in this life is simply something God gives to you to steward for him so that others can know him. We talked about that last week. So now go over to chapter 3. He prays for them to have spiritual wisdom. Starting in verse 14, this is his second prayer for them. Verse 14. This prayer is his spiritual prayer for them, his destiny for us, that we would be praying people, spiritually praying people. Verse 14. Let me get over to the right chapter. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason... Now, when he says for this reason, he's referring back for just a moment. Go back to chapter 2, verse 19. 219. This is what he's referring to when he says for this reason. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The entire book of Ephesians is about the church, that it's Jews and Greeks, male and female, slave and free, all one body being built up into a holy temple brick by brick. So now he says, I'm praying for that group in 314. And he says, for this reason, you, the church, the dwelling place of God, you, the the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are fellow citizens. We are a holy temple. We're being built together. The second prayer of Paul's is for Christ to dwell in his church powerfully 
so the world can see who your daddy is. You are his children. Now look at verse 14. First thing he says is, I bow my knees to the Father. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Growing up, have you ever had anybody say to you, unless you're on your knees, you're not praying? I have. Is he saying here you have to bow your knees to pray? No. Jews sometimes would bow their knees when they prayed. Sometimes they would pray standing up. Give me an example. The thief on the cross that was redeemed as he was hanging there dying, did he bow his knees? Now, he was just trying to push his knees up so he could breathe. He was dying, being tortured to death, and he turned to Jesus and said, will you remember me when you come into my kingdom? What's the most significant prayer that man ever prayed? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom as he's hanging there being tortured to death? Very simply, when he says, I bow my knees, it's, it's simply pointing out an attitude or a posture. The Greek word means, phrase means, that the intimacy of bowing before your father. Yes, you might choose to do it on your knees. You might just choose to do it. I pray a lot driving, working in my yard, getting ready to hit a golf ball. That prayer is, please, Lord, let this one go straight. I read a story this week about these three guys that were talking about how do you, how do you pray? What's the best posture for prayer? Very spiritual conversation. One guy said, well, you have to be on your knees. Another one said, no, no, you need to be standing with your hands outstretched to the heavens. Another one said, no, you need to lay on your face before God. And the fourth guy said, I'll tell you when the most effective prayer I ever prayed was. That time I fell in the well, and I'm hanging upside down. He said, I prayed real hard that day. And it was real effective because the rope caught me, and y'all were able to pull me out. Point being, what does God want from you? He wants your heart bowed before him in an attitude of humility and intimacy as you talk to your daddy. We talked earlier about two just simple principles. Daddy, what can I do to honor your name? And daddy, what is your will for me? I want to do that. And by the way, I'd like to pray pray for this person, pray for this need, pray for this, pray for our leaders, pray for this, pray for that, that all would be according to your will. I'll give you a simple example. We are a presidential election year. We're commanded in Romans other places to pray for those that are in authority over us. Do you think the people in Washington, D.C. need our prayer? Dear God, do they ever. Do they ever. We need to pray that they are serious about doing what's right, whichever party they're in, and being in the center of God's will to lead this nation that God has so blessed. That's what we should pray for them, whether you like them or not. Maybe you like this person or you don't like. doesn't matter. You're commanded to pray for all of them. You might not like me, but guess what? God said you're, you should pray for me. To pray for your elders. I know some of them are not likable, but you're commanded to pray for us so we can lead properly. Spiritual 
prayer. Saints of all time. Look at verse 9 for just a moment. Verse 9. To make all, chapter 3, verse 9, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, the church, from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, us, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. It is a privilege, it's personal, and it should be the highest priority in our life to understand we are Jesus' body. And we have confidence to go before him, boldness to approach that throne of grace. Knowing we've received grace, knowing we've received mercy, and then boldly share that with our world because it's the only thing that will change our world individually, one at a time, And corporately is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We already know him. We know who God is. He wants us to share that. Second thing that is destiny for us is that we would not only have spiritual prayer lives, but spiritual power. Look at verse 16, 316. that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might through the grace, through his spirit in the inner man. Through grace, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That he would grant you. The Greek is God give to you freely. The strength, the power the capacity to do what God wants you to do. In Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, Jesus says these words. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who, may, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and in him who knocks it will be opened. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, because you're sinners, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask What was Jesus wanting them to understand? We mentioned it earlier. Some of you are really good fathers, Jesus is saying. And as a good father and you're a sinner who makes mistakes and you know how to give, you try to give good gifts, how much more? One of the most powerful phrases in the New Testament, you see it a lot. How much more? In other words, exponentially beyond what you can even consider, think about, your heavenly father, your daddy, wants to give you grace through the spirit that's in you as his children to do what he wants you to do. Pursue him, to glorify him. Look at the next phrase there in verse 16. That he would grant you grace, free gift, freely given, according to the riches of his glory. According to the riches of his glory. And we really want you to see this in the original language so you'll make sure you get it. When it says, according to the riches of his glory, 
it does not say out of. What does it say? According to. In other words, when your daddy is going to give you something, what does he have the capacity to give? What does he own? Everything. It's not, let's say Randy was a billionaire. We could all, let's stop and pray today. Let's say Randy is a billionaire. And I decide I'm going to give everybody a little bit of money. What is it coming out of? The billions. A little bit here, a little bit there. You know what it's saying here? When your heavenly father decides to give you according to the riches of his glory, it's not that you're going to give a little bit here, a little bit here. It means that we are joint heirs with Christ. He has the capacity and it will give to you everything. Turn for a moment to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 in the Old Testament. According to the riches of his glory, your daddy. I want us just to walk through this together. Great stuff to meditate on. Psalm 19. I'm going to read it. I want you just to follow along with me. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, creation. Their line has gone out through all the earth. Their works to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. There's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Please note verse 10. Yes, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Here's what I would challenge you to do this week, this kind of homework. Write it down, do it this week, whenever. Read Psalm 19 over and over and over again. Four or five times. Just focus on different things it says about your dad. Who he is, how he's proving himself, he shows himself. Like I can look right through that door, look out through the front door of this building, and I can see sunlight right just through that crack. I can see sunlight. God says every time you see sunlight, it's it's a reminder that all the heavens are mine. I own them. Put them there for your benefit. So back to Ephesians. So he says to us, according to the riches of his glory. Not out of, but according to. In other words, your daddy owns the universe. 
So whatever he needs to give to you, you'll get it. You'll get it. Philippians 4, 8. Paul said these words, wrote these words. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, back to verse 16 again. According to the riches of his glory, next phrase, to be strengthened with might. The original language, the phrase is, this, is phrased this way, that you would be increasing and glow, growing larger like dynamite, constantly growing, getting stronger in your faith. And the word, we get our word dynamite from the word. Never satisfied. You're strengthened perpetually. This is his specific prayer for them to grow. We have the power in us. We need to let it loose. Let it do its work. In Second Peter, Peter wrote these words. His divine God, divine power is given to us his children, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. All things pertaining to life and godliness. You don't have to ask God to give you this capacity to do it. You already have it. The Holy Spirit who indwells you is omnipotent. You have that power, that strength. Christ is our, uh, when it says Christ is our strength, it means he is our capacity to get it done. We have that. We just have to surrender to it, grow in knowledge of it, and then live it out. Look at back to verse 16. According to the riches of his glory to be, to be strengthened with might, how? How is the end of verse 16? Through his spirit in the inner man. Strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Here's his point. As human beings, we were created in the image of God. We have a spirit. We have a spiritual aspect to us that animals do not have. Nothing else has. We're the only thing in the universe created with the capacity to have a relationship with God as our daddy and not just our creator. We have that capacity. So when I'm born again, I'm, given, I'm declared righteous in Christ. I'm righteous not because I'm a good person, because Christ died on the cross. He's perfect. I am in him. I am righteous in him. I'm God's child. But here's what you get. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. So now he, the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, indwells you and identifies with your spirit that you're more than just a human being. You're more than just a human being. What are you? You're a human being that God has declared righteous, saved you, adopted you into his family. You are his child. Listen to these promises from Jesus Christ, and then we're going to be done. Listen to these promises. In the upper room discourse, we've talked about it a lot, quoted John 17 earlier. In the upper room discourse, as Jesus is preparing those 11 guys, he's going to leave, and they're going to carry on. He says these words. I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, so he's another helper, he's the spirit of truth, he will guide you into 
all truth. And what, when the helper comes, whom, shall, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And the Greek word for that helper, for that spirit of truth, that is what we call, where we get our term, the comforter. It's the paraclete. The literal meaning is this. He's the one who comes alongside to help when you need help. The helper, the comforter, the paraclete. He indwells you. He's always there. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't go on vacation. He's not out of the office. He's always there identifying with your spirit that you're much more than just a human being. You're my child. My riches, you've got the capacity. I'm going to strengthen you. You've got that. Now just go out and glorify me. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we close out our time together, we just want to thank you that we can call you Father. That is not just the word that we throw out there because we're in church and we're religious. It's who you are. You are our Father. We talk to you. Lord, I pray for Randy and for every one of us that our prayer individually would be to glorify you, to seek your will in all that we do, and as a church, the same. Church, churches individually and the church around the world that Christ would be glorified, that we would listen to the Holy Spirit, we would listen to your word, we would internalize it, we would let it change us so we can pursue you, glory in you, and then go out and glorify you. So Lord, as we close out our time together, I pray that for those of us as believers we would be challenged by that. And for someone here who's not a Christian, that they would turn to Jesus as he dies for them on the cross and say, Lord, would you remember me? Would you remember me? Would you save me? Forgive me? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and if you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be down front.